Good morning, everyone. Good to have you here with us, whether in person or an online audience. Great to have you here. Um, last week, and uh, we started our series, Christmas is Not Canceled. And last week, we saw from Isaiah chapter 9 that waiting is part of God's people's kind of mode of apparatus. That is how we function. We function with waiting for lots of different things. In Isaiah chapter 9, they waited for the promise of the Messiah. And we saw in our Christmas traditions that Advent calendars are often used to help that waiting game play out. So kids don't have to keep asking, is it Christmas, is it Christmas, is it Christmas, is it Christmas? No, the Advent calendar takes care of that waiting game. And from Isaiah chapter 9, we realize that after that 740 years, Waiting was definitely worth it. But waiting is still very much a part of our experience and our challenge and our maybe, I don't want to say punishment, but, but waiting is definitely part of our character-building opportunities. And there are lots of things that we wait for, and while we're waiting... For whatever it might be, there are various activities that take place and that we can engage in to help that waiting time. Here's one of them, and guess what this person is doing while they are waiting? The old, well not old, the modern, but yet consistently current, I'm on my phone. The number of times you might be in line uh, that you... <laughs> it, I'm at a traffic light, and people are waiting that 30 seconds for the light to change, and out comes their phones, and I've been guilty of that. Because, oh, I've got to wait 30 seconds. I better do something, so I check, whatever it might be. So people are on their phones constantly. Another way that we help ourselves through the waiting game is through this activity. Now, this is a lot less common these days, but people used to, when they were waiting somewhere, take out a book and read it an actual physical paper type of book. I don't know how many of you are holding a bi paper Bible, but I mean, that used to be common. That's how you got information, is you read it. And so people, when they waited, reading a book would be something they would take out of their pocket, take out of their briefcase, their purse, and they would read. This is one of my favorite activities for waiting. You know what this person's doing? Just daydreaming. Just, oh, what's going on? And you kind of just get lost outside the window. And you are in a different world, and all of a sudden you have to get, oh, that's right, <laughs> I'm next, I better go. And some, sometimes people daydream at traffic lights, and they have to get a little bit of an encouragement in order to, oh, that's right, I need to turn. I got the arrow. This is, I've never done this, but this is what often comes up when people think about waiting twiddling your thumbs. And the number of times I've wanted to say to the kids, well, there's nothing for me to do. Well, have you ever tried sitting and twiddling your thumbs? Now, there's no, I guess you can make a game out of it. How fast can you do it? How long can you do it? Can you do it reverse? Ooh, I don't know. Can you do left first, then right? I mean, you could make a game of it, but that could take up time while you are waiting. The old, why don't you twiddle your thumbs? This is a common one. You get this even when you're not waiting. You're just bored out of your mind. 
They're, you're tired, you're yawning, and then someone else yawns, and it's just a cascading event of, oh, we are bored out of our mind. There's nothing to do. Well, this next one, these people are doing something while they're waiting and wasting their time. It's hard to tell because there's no sound, but really they're just complaining to each other. They're just complaining to each other, and that's a beautiful pastime for people who are waiting. Just complain about waiting. Why does a DMV not open earlier or stay open later? Why do I take a number and the number never seems to change? How did they get a number that's better than my number and they came in after me? Has that ever happened to someone? And they get called up before you do and you're like, <gasps> and so complaining is often a pastime, I don't suggest it, that people spend while they are waiting. And then lastly, probably my favorite go-to, oh, why don't you just take a nap? And I don't know, I'm, I've never had to really drive a, a train to work or public transportation to work every day, but the times that I've been on public transportation, you find people sleeping all the time, and I'm thinking, that's weird. But then I've done it on airplanes, but that doesn't seem as weird. But if there's nothing else for you to do and you are tired of waiting, you take a nap because what happens after you've taken a nap? You pretty much have already there. You've wasted all that time not knowing that you were waiting. And so napping, sleeping is a great activity for uh, what to do when you are bored and waiting. Well, believers also have to wait. There is a waiting, not game, but waiting activities that we have in our lives today. We wait for others to mature and grow up. And we wait for ourselves to mature and grow up. It's a process. We also wait for the Lord's second coming. We wait for answered prayers. There's a lot of waiting that we do as believers. We wait for opportunities to serve. We wait for opportunities to love. We, there's waiting. Part, part, part of our existence as believers, as Christians, is waiting. And that's what makes patience so difficult because patience is supposed to take us through those waiting moments so that we don't get discouraged, so that we don't just daydream, so we just don't check out and sleep during the Christian life, so we don't complain about it. And there is a solid, super, super solid activity for us to do while we're waiting, whatever that waiting might be in your life. And in Romans chapter 12, Paul gives us a shotgun approach to what to do while we're waiting. Because if, if you feel that your life is not filled with waiting, and I'm just not talking about waiting in line, but I'm talking about waiting for the Lord to do something, waiting for a new work in our lives, waiting for change to happen in our lives, waiting for things to get back to normal. If, if waiting is part of our existence, then it should be very important to us to answer the question, what should I do while I'm waiting? What do the Israelites do while they waited 740 years for the promise of Isaiah chapter 9 to take place? What did they do? What were they supposed to do? What are we supposed to do waiting for the Lord's return? And in Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9, and this is a shotgun approach, there are going to be probably close to 20 different things that Paul tells us we can be doing while we're waiting. And so I'm hoping, my prayer is that one of them resonates with you. That, you, that one of these just stick to you and you go, 
that's the one, Tim. That's the one that I know the Lord wants me to work on right now. That's the one I've struggled at. That's the one I don't have down. I need help. And Paul is going to give us more than 20 opportunities to think about what to do while we're waiting. And he starts out in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, and saying, Love must be sincere. Love must be sincere. That's a great activity to work on while we are waiting. Waiting for an answered prayer, waiting for a change in our life, waiting for the change in someone else's life, waiting for the Lord to return. Love must be sincere. How many times we could have improved on how we loved. How many times we could have increased our love for someone who was unlovable, for an action that was unlovable towards us. Love must be sincere. We all have to work on the sincerity of our love, the genuineness of our love. And he goes on and says, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. How many times have we let our mind wander to an activity or an action or a dream that we know God doesn't want us to be thinking about that. God does not want our mind to dwell on that. He does not want us to spend energy on this. He does not want us to wish for that. Instead, cling on to what is good. Hate what is evil. Too many times we give ourselves room to compromise in accepting an activity or an event or a thought because it's occupying time in our life when we really should be avoiding it at all costs. Love what is good. Hate what is evil. And we are given opportunities all throughout the day, all throughout the week, to love things that God loves and to hate things that God hates. And we will never run out of things to love what God loves and to hate what God hates. That could be a full-time waiting activity for God's, for Christ's second coming. That's just the first verse. Verse 10, be devoted to one another in love. And I've said this before that oftentimes when we talk about love in Scripture, it comes to our mind that John is the apostle of love, that John talks a lot about love. But Paul talks about love far more than even John does. Even more than Jesus talks about love, Paul talks about love. Love is vitally important in Paul's experience, his actions, and what to do while you're waiting for the Lord's return. It is be devoted to one another in love. Honor, and then he explains a little bit, if we're, it's hard for us to understand, what does it mean, Paul, to be devoted to one another in love? And I think he answers that in that verse 10 where he says, honor one another above yourselves. If you want to know if you're loving someone, do they have priority in your life? Do they have priority in your life? Do they have priority of time? Priority of energy? Priority of emotion? Priority financially? Are they priority in your lives? Are they being honored more than you are expecting honor? Are you serving more than you're expecting them to serve you? That is a sign of being devoted to one another in love. Verse 11, never be lacking in zeal, and he explains what that means, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. That is an always-on activity. There is always opportunity for us to engage in being more zealous 
for the things of God, more passionate for the things of God, desiring more people to hear about God, desiring our lives to express God more and more and more. There is never a time where we will exhaust that activity. We could always be more passionate for God, more on fire for God, speaking about Him more, presenting His truth more, and living it more, letting Him affect us more and more and more. We will never, never outweigh God with that activity. We will always have something to do. And then verse 12 hammers us with a few things. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Wow. Who here has exhausted joy? That we, We're done with joy. We, we've done joy. We need to go on to the next one. We never are. We never have exhausted being patient in affliction. We've all been afflicted, right? We've all been uncomfortably changed by outside influences, afflicted. We're to be patient in that. And faithful in prayer. And I think Paul, as you talk about, as you think about everything that Paul has talked about, about prayer in all of his epistles, Prayer is not simply saying at a meal, asking God to bless it and thanking Him for it. It's prayer. A prayer life is more than that. And I will hammer this day in and day out. And you will get tired of hearing about popcorn prayers. But I'm telling you, that is so essential for the Christian growth to be in constant communion with God, regardless of a time of day, whether or not your hands are folded and eyes closed, or you've read a scripture, there are always moments throughout every day, no matter where you are in life, or no matter what you are doing, where you cannot throw up a prayer saying, God, I acknowledge you, thank you for being my Lord and Savior. It can be that simple. And if your day is punctuated by those moments where you are connecting with God, acknowledging Him, and acknowledging your need for Him, your day will be filled with prayer and you will be fulfilling that requirement of praying without ceasing. Always being in prayer and communion with God. And Paul says, part of what you can do while you are waiting is be faithful in prayer. Faithful means continuous actions towards. So I am having continuous actions in this activity of prayer. How many of you, and I'm guilty of this, how many of you have, while you are in line waiting, decided, God, you know what? I'm going to throw up as many popcorn prayers as I can. I'm going to thank you for as many things as I can. I've never done that, but that's a wonderful way of spending your time in line. I don't advise closing your eyes, folding your hands, or kneeling. I mean, you can do the prayers without any of those outside activities or outward activities. But simply saying, God, thank you for allowing me to stand. To stand. When was the last time we thought to thank God for the ability to stand? You only do that once you realize you have a hard time standing. And all of a sudden, I can stand. And I'm like, wow, thank you, God, for allowing me this opportunity to stand. But there are ample opportunities throughout the day of waiting for you to connect with God. Then he says in verse 13, share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. 
That is constantly before us. God's people in need or people that are, are suffering because of an unmet need in their lives and you have a means or opportunity to do that, Paul says spend your time doing that. Take advantage of that. Look for opportunities to be hospitable, to grab somebody a glass of water, to help somebody open a door, to help someone put groceries away. Look for opportunities to serve one another. It's not just financially helping people in need. It's when someone has a need, you stepping forward and helping. I got here this morning, and I'm not going to point anyone out, but I got here this morning, and part of my Sunday morning regime is I got to make sure that I plug the coffee in because we can't plug that in before the weekend. I mean, that would that'd be terrible coffee to have that brewing for three days. And so that's one of the quick things I do. Sunday morning, just walk in, plug it in. Not a big deal. Super quick and easy. And somebody had already done that. And I thought to myself, I'm going to thank the person, whoever might have done it and did, but they didn't realize how awesome that was for me to have someone do that. And you're thinking to yourself right now, you mean plugging in a coffee pot will make you happy, Tim? Wow, you are really easy to please. Um, my family would say otherwise. <laughs> but you're right. Someone went out of their way to do something that all of us benefit from and took five seconds probably not even five seconds to do it, but the thought was, there's a need, I'll do it. I'm not going to wait to be told to do it. I just see a need, I'm going to do it. And if we spent our time doing those little five-second helps, wow, that burden of waiting could feel a lot shorter when we're helping others in need. Paul says we're to do just that. He goes on in verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Oh, okay, so Paul just went from those little easy activities, okay, prayer, loving, helping, to a big one. Because I don't know of anyone who has not, in downtime of waiting, when they have been hurt by someone, think about how do I hurt them back? How do I get them back? It's human. It's sinful. But it's very human of us to want to get payback. And so Paul, and he's going to talk about this later on in the chapter, but he starts out by saying, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. And we're going to look at that when we get uh, to the end of the chapter. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. See, there's always an opportunity, no matter where another person is at in their spiritual moment, their day, Paul says, connect with them. Connect with one another. If someone's hurting, acknowledge that. and Go, oh, I understand that. I've lost someone too. I know how that feels. You're going through surgery? I know how scary that is. I've gone through it myself. Let me pray. You've just celebrated a birthday or a milestone or a huge promotion? Awesome. Those things have happened to me too. Let's thank God. There's always opportunity for you to connect, and that's what Paul is saying here. Take opportunity to connect with people where they are at. If someone is feeling down and out, your job is not to act like a clown and make them happy. Your job as a believer is to be right alongside them, to understand and sympathize with them, and encourage them. 
And when someone is rejoicing and having the best day of life, your job is not to come along and say, oh, just wait till tomorrow, it'll get worse. Or, yeah, that was your mountaintop, now you're going to go to the valley. No, you're not, your job's not to bum them out or bring them back to reality. No, no, no. Your job is to go, that is awesome. You got an A on the paper? Fantastic. Let's celebrate. Let's go get ice cream. I don't know what it is, but you can have that kind of response and not be the Debbie Downer and go, oh, sorry, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just wait. Wait until you grow up. It's not going to be that fun. No, rejoice with them. Connect with them. Respond with them. He continues and says in verse 16, more things that we can do while we're waiting. Live in harmony with one another. Oh, that means my conversations and my my communications and, and the way I do social media and the way I... I talk to my friends and family. There needs to be an understanding that conflict will resolve it. And I'm not going to be a stick in the mud. I'm not going to be someone who uh, fights to get a point across. But I want to live in harmony with one another. And part of living in harmony with one another, huge answer to that question, how do I do it? It's do not be proud but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. How do I live in harmony with others? It starts with not the other person agreeing with me. There'd be a lot of harmony if, if everyone agreed with me. I'd be at peace with everyone. No, it starts with don't be proud. Don't think it's your way or the highway. Don't think it's all about you. Don't think your opinion is the only opinion that matters. Your position is the only one that matters. Don't be proud. Don't be arrogant. In fact, Paul says, don't be conceited. Don't think that you are better than anyone else. And that shows itself by your willing to associate with people that are not in your same position, that don't have it all together, that maybe financially are ruined. Maybe their health has deteriorated. Maybe they're old. Maybe they're young. Don't just simply ignore others, but be compassionate towards them, starting with don't be so proud to think that you can't talk and communicate with someone else that's different than you. Don't automatically judge them. That's part of being proud and conceit is we are quick to judge others and assume what others meant by what they said or how they said it, instead of actually talking to them. Part of living in harmony. So if we are ever wondering, what should we do while we're waiting for God to answer a prayer or to do something in my life or to do something in their life or to return or to take me home, we have ample things to do, starting with loving all the way to working on our own pride and conceit on how we treat others. And then he continues in verse 17 and picks up on this theme again. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Now, Paul doesn't mean that we need to live in a way that is a people pleaser. You know the people pleaser, those yes people that no matter what you want, oh, yes, 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 yes. You can stand up for the truth. Paul's not saying you can't do that. But he's saying that in the process of living with one another, your life should reflect to the outside world that you are holy and just 
regardless if someone is watching you or no one is watching you. Regardless if you're at church on Sunday or regardless if you're uh, watching a game on Monday night with a bunch of buddies, your actions should be viewed from every perspective, from everyone, as Christian actions. There should never be a time where in our mind we put on the Christian hat and we take it off and we put on the other guy hat. Every relationship that we have in life should reflect the seriousness and the reality of what we live on a Sunday morning. The way we feel towards others, the way we interact with one another, the way we, we put on this, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I love God and I'm struggling, but I love Him, that should be reflected in every relationship that we have, whether it's at school, at work, or at home. In the eyes of everyone, they should see the genuine working of God in our lives. That's something that we all can work on. And then he explains further in verse 18, the similar theme. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you, because there are some people, some, something may have happened in your life between you and another person, and you have tried your best to restore that relationship, and it, it, it may be in complete tatters, or it may just be status quo. If you have done before God everything you possibly can, to be at peace with someone and they still hate you and they still lie about you and they still slander you and they still try to hurt you, you've done all that you possibly can and that's what God requires of you. You. God requires you to change you, not to change someone else. So Paul says as far as it's possible, as far as you know in your own heart and conscience that you've done what you can to live at peace with someone, you've done the Lord's will. Says, do not take revenge again, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And Paul's quoting from Proverbs. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. So he goes from... Don't repay evil for evil because evil things will happen to you and your natural reaction is to get them back, to make them suffer like they made me suffer. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Try to live at peace with him. Always display your Christian faith and how you talk about them and how you talk to them. Always display your Christian faith. Live your Christian faith in front of them. And in the end, there is that beautiful promise that you have to wait for maybe, that God will take care of it. God will see that justice is done. Justice here on earth, even in America, which has a great judicial system, it fails sometimes at doing what is right and honorable before God. It does, it fails. And ultimately, God says, that failure and fixing it is not yours to do. Ultimately, I will hold every murderer accountable, even if they got off on a technicality. I will hold them all guilty. And for everyone who was innocent, but they were found guilty, I will repay and make that right. 
How will God do that and when will God do that? Here's the answer. You're going to have to wait to find out. Waiting, waiting, waiting. Patience, patience, patience. But I want... No, no, no. Patience. Work on what God has given you to work on. God has not given you or me the responsibility of paying back evil, of making things right. What he's asked us to do is make ourselves right. All of these activities, everything from verse 9 all the way to what we've read, is about us. You as an individual, you are responsible for loving, for helping those in need, for working on pride and conceit, for prayer. You are responsible for that in your life. Not someone else's life, not my life, not their life, not her life or his life, but your life. You are responsible for this attitude that is supposed to permeate your actions and your thinking while we are waiting for the next step in our Christian life. And our next step, if we've taken the step of being Christian, the very next step of our Christian life is to live it out with the ultimate goal of one day, my final step is going to be with him. Whenever that day comes, in the meantime, I have to wait for it. And in the waiting process, God has not left us twiddling our thumbs, bored, napping, on our phones, reading books, or daydreaming. He's not left us to those activities. He has left us to very concrete processes. And they all kind of focus on how you change yourself. Through God and His Word, yes, reliant upon the Spirit's work in our lives. But they're all focused on me changing me. Not me changing the waiting. Not me getting people out of line so I can go faster. But me changing me by God's hand and work. And then lastly, Paul says in verse uh, 21, do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. Third time he's mentioned something like that, about keeping good the focus and staying away from evil, not dwelling on evil, doing good. Third time he's mentioned it in those few verses because it is so easy to get carried away with the injustices we feel have been made against us or against others, that our mind can focus on payback instead of living today as Christians. And we are all guilty of that. All of us. And so we need to change how we wait. We need to change the activities that we engage in while we are waiting for whatever the next step is in our life. Whatever the next event is that God's bringing in our life or whatever the next opportunity is, we're waiting for it. And we're not supposed to be inactive while we are waiting. We are to be active. And we are to be active changing ourselves. So, something to take home this morning. Waiting does not mean inactivity. It does not mean inactivity. God wants us to live in obedience and love. To fulfill what he's talked about in Romans 12. And again, like I said, there are 20-some different things that you can attach to and say, Wow, Tim, this, God, God keeps reminding me of this part of the verse that you just mentioned. Then work on that. Then while you are waiting for God's events to unfold in your life, that is an activity that you should put effort into. More than just lip service, effort into it. 
So if God's given you another day to work on what you need to work on, let's push ourselves to that greatness. Let's not just be people who are waiting for change, but let's be people who, as we are waiting, we ask God to change us. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful and thankful for your change in our lives, for bringing us into a relationship with you, and to give us purpose. Father, that purpose is hard at times to fulfill, and our life is filled with distractions and frustrations. Help us, Father, to weed through those distractions and frustrations and focus on how we change ourselves today to live in a way that honors you and to live in a way that loves others. Help us, Father, to be actively growing as we are waiting for your return. In Christ's name,